0: hey everyone and welcome to shy and salty
1: with your hosts nikki and ria where we talk through our journeys of learning unlearning and relearning in order to help you through yours so sit back
0: relax and enjoy the ride shy and salty hi everyone
1: welcome back to shy and salty welcome back today we have a guest on it's a super special episode and before we begin we wanted to let
0: everyone know that unfortunately we ran into some technical issues so our first half of the recording skipped out noah is no longer a part of that interview uh, so we're just going to continue on by just giving a little bit introduction and then diving in into the questions and episode.
1: Yeah. So we were so excited to have our guest on. I think maybe I already said that, but he's Noah, also known as Floods. He's a New York City boxing coach and personal trainer. He currently has a class schedule at Rumble Upper East Side. So if you want to go train with him, I totally recommend it. I actually met him for the first time through one of our mutual friends and I've taken his classes before. They're so fun. He's so funny and witty. You'll definitely have a great time as well as a great workout.
0: So we hope that you enjoy this episode and here's back to Noah.
1: I want to bring up like one of the first times I met you. I Saw one of your tattoos and it was a semicolon, and I made fun of you for it. I thought it was like you made some joke about like the Oxford comma, like one of those people that are like, I love Oxford commas. And I was like, haha, like punctuation. And you were like, actually, this stands for like mental health awareness. Like it stood for something that was just so, I felt so bad making fun of it. And you like totally put me in my place like the first time we met so i would love to talk about that
2: i was honestly probably talking with you i, I if i could be totally honest i was probably no kidding. but
1: i the semicolon is a is a thing
2: oh yeah yeah no yeah not yeah. about the meeting I, I just mean it, like the the delivery was most likely a, a calculated oh attempt. yeah but i was <laughs> i still felt that
1: i still think about it
2: Honestly, that's another terrible quality of mine. I love making people uncomfortable <laughs> by just presenting things in an uncomfortable way. It's like when they when people ask me about being adopted, and I'm like, mm-hmm. "I floated over here on a door kind of vibes." But then you get like a follow up of like, then then it starts getting like white people <laughs> problems where it's like, "Oh, which Korea are you from?" T- take take a wild guess.
0: <laughs> I love when they guess. Like, yeah, let's make a game out of it. It's, no,
2: exactly. I, I was on a date one time and a girl goes, "Uh, what type of Asian are you? And I was about to say something. She's like, wait, 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 no, 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 no. I'm so good at these. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's a wordle.
0: Yeah. Maybe they should do a wordle of that. They put like a picture of someone and you have to guess their Ethnicity? ethnicity?
1: Oh my God, that'd be such a funny game. <laughs>
2: it's all just a social experiment. They're all just like... <laughs>
1: I love the what kind of Asian are you question. Funny story, I and the podcast has already heard this, slash Andrea has already heard this. But when I went to the fish fry at my boyfriend's family hosts, we went into like this trailer with his dad's like college friends and they were like, oh, like what kind of Asian are you? And then they guessed correctly. And I was like, that is un. Like, for people in Missouri who, like, definitely don't, like, see as many Asians, like, that's very impressive. And then he started going on a tangent of, like, oh, yeah, because I knew it wasn't this Asian because of these stereotypical qualities. And I was, like, ooh, like, you could have stopped once you got (laughs) it.
2: There's, like, a happy medium of, like, knowing enough to be, like, oh, I recognize differences. And then, like, knowing too much where it's, like, Why do you know more about like Korean genetics than I do? Which is a whole other thing. I don't know if you guys have ever been franchised. Probably Probably never. never.
1: (laughs) (laughs) A Latina and an Asian, probably never.
2: I once had a girl refuse to go on a date with me because I couldn't teach her Korean. It's tough. That's tough, you know? As someone who struggles with English, learning Korean and teaching Korean is, I'll stick to uh, fitness. Thanks.
1: On that topic, so for context, you were adopted. Correct. How much of like Korean culture did you grow up with, if any?
2: So here's the fun start. My parents really wanted me to feel at home. So we have a bunch of very broadly East Asian decor. Like we have pagodas in our backyard is is where... It's where I was at. But I did Korean martial arts growing up. And I eventually, when I was like 16, I asked my mom, I was like, why did you make me do that over like everything else? And she goes, full seriousness, dead, looks me dead in the windows of my soul. And she says, I thought you'd pick up the language. <laughs> so It's to answer your question in as many words, minimal, minimal. Yeah. But we went back to Korea.
1: Also, there was intention there. And I know, like, intention is yeah. not always oh my like, gosh. Impact. yeah, no, yeah. My aunt on my dad's side is who, like, is very like white family she's adopted from korea like by my like step grandma and grandpa and so people always think we're related on the other like on my mom's side and it's always like oh no like actually like different types of asian and she like could not be like act more like white you know if that makes sense because she's been brought up like completely without like any form of like korean culture so like she's more italian by culture than she is korean by far.
2: Oh yeah. I mean, you know, that's like that's the the thing too. The the great part about it growing up was that family to me was never like defined by blood relation. So as as like a kid, as an adolescent, even now as an adult, I really I I feel very accepting of like quote unquote families everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like work, home like friends from college like that's all it's all family to the extent of like i don't have blood family that i know of so you are as family as we agree on which is like i guess the positive perspective around it that i've been carrying so it's all good stuff
0: yeah i was like we have that in like our culture where we like call people that are like our our parents like friends because like we grew up with them we call them like titis and theos and it wasn't until like later on that i like found out that we weren't blood related so it's like just giving like that love to whoever's there
2: and that's its whole other thing too like i by the time my parents told me i was like i i know thank you (laughs) but to like find it out and not know i mean what what was that experience like for you
0: no it didn't affect me at all i was just like oh okay and just like went on with my day. But then it's like to other people, I'm like, oh, we're not like blood related, but we're why my cousin and my aunt are a whole different like nationality than me. So that's like the only situation that it comes into play, but other than that I'm like, yeah, those are my cousins.
2: Yeah. Exactly. And that leads into like the the very delicate way that people talk about it. The difference between calling like birth parents real parents that that was always like an uncomfortable thing growing up in white suburban pennsylvania uh people would be like do you ever want to meet your real parents i was like no they live at home (laughs) with me right Mm -hmm. now they're like no but like you know when you put white people in a position where they then have to clarify the statement so they can hone in a little bit on being like a little little racist (laughs) like like uh, racist, but similar vibe.
0: Well, that's the only way you can like really know their intentions.
2: Yeah, yeah. You I'm, just, you on just being gotta keep asking, asking follow up.
0: What do you mean by that?
2: <laughs> it's yeah. Uh, I'm actually from Philadelphia, but where I'm really from uh, is also Philadelphia.
0: <laughs> unfortunately, for everyone
2: else. Sorry to bore everyone.
0: Wait, so Amazing. just a little bit of background on your. Adoption. What age were you adopted? How did you or when did they tell you? How did they tell how was that conversation?
2: Um, so I was adopted pretty much at birth. I was basically um, yeah, I was I was in like a foster home for six months and then came over to the states uh at six months old. So super, super early on. It was like a pretty on honestly, like a pretty complex process that I still don't even understand to this day, which I would like to know more about. But the talk essentially (laughs) happened when I was like 11. So at that point, they were like, we just want you to know you are adopted. And me being a jackass child was feigning, like, surprise. (laughs) What? (laughs) Impossible. My mom with blonde hair and blue eyes and my dad with like light colored eyes. And I'm just over here like, do you mean I don't get jet black hair from (laughs) you?
1: Wait, so did you like – did you know beforehand and do you like just never said anything?
2: Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like my parents never felt it was important enough to be like – this is something we really need to talk with you about. And so neither did I. I was just like, all right, cool. These are my parents, we're family. And then uh, one day they're like, hey, you know you're adopted? And I'm like, yep. <laughs> and they're like, all right, sick. <laughs> just make me um, share. <laughs> I mean, it like for some people, for sure, I, I actually used to work with, in like a volunteer program with a lot of people who had trauma uh, from their adoption and adoptive situation. So it is a super serious kind of, traumatic experience for certain people and significantly more people than I had ever understood. Like when I started that, I was 18. So I was like, wow, people have strained relationships with their parents simply because they're adopted. So that was that was kind of new for me. But it just really showed me I was like, wow, I should be even more grateful to have such a fantastic relationship with my family. And from what I've unpacked, uh, do not have any recurring or like residual traumas from it. knock on wood (laughs)
1: let's find them
2: (laughs) yeah let's go digging you guys
1: curious as to so I know you grew up in like a predominantly white like Pennsylvania suburb did you ever feel like you either like weren't white enough or weren't Asian enough like either of the two
2: so the big moment was all my life uh, in white suburbia, like I'm talking like graduating class of 300 and there's like three black kids and they're all related like that white. And that's not even like a joke, like literally like the Irvings, (laughs) they were, they were literally related. Um, at that point, it's, it's more of like a visual understanding. So I always identified as very Asian, like Asian, but white Asian sure, but never without a doubt in my mind that I was Asian. And then I went to NYU And if you know anything about NYU, they have like, not only like a pretty dense Korean population, but they are also incredibly elitist. And Korean traditionalism is like its whole other thing that I had a taste of when I went back to Korea. So I went at 18 during my freshman year of college, essentially from being like, I'm the Asian guy, like walking up to a bunch of true genuine Koreans who are like Korean first language. I'm like, what's up Koreans? and I'm wearing like a Hollister shirt. So that wasn't received very well, but that was was the experience. And now I'm just kind of a guy. I've sort of come to peace with both. And New York is probably the perfect place to be that, second only to maybe the Bay.
0: True. True. Yeah. I feel like it's a theme that's like in all of our lives where we're like, not like one thing enough or not another thing enough. So I also grew up in like a predominantly white school, so I was like reminded of what I was and I'm always aware.
2: It's never too late and it's never too soon. No, yeah. I mean, I think we're all trending towards being mutts anyway, you know? Shout out to interracial couples. Right? (laughs) Right, (laughs) Nikki?
1: Yeah, I mean-
2: The half babies, man. They're- it's it's like a civic duty. If you're an attractive Asian person in relationship with a white person, you have to have a baby because they're just going to be a beautiful celebrity. Yeah, which
1: is so annoying because um, I feel like I deserved better jeans. Like I feel like in order to compete as like a a happy like you have to be perfect because there's just so many so attractive happies. But one day. I'll I'll date
2: every white woman in the world (laughs) if I have to.
1: No. Yeah. And I mean, I asked this because like this is such a common and maybe more recently like has been something that I've been thinking about a lot. Like I'm not white, but I'm also like not Asian, like enough in like both ends. I feel like especially like learning more about Asian culture, like the last couple of years, which I don't know why it took me until now to like really like hone in on it. I think honestly it had to do with like moving like going to Missouri, going to Denver, like feeling more like a minority because in New York and New Jersey you're not really one, but yeah, very interesting. And so going back to Korea, when when did that happen and how was that experience for you?
2: So, I went back to Korea when I was 13. We went with a group of other people who are also adoptive families. Oh
1: my god. So, it's like
2: yeah, all the the white parents are high-fiving and talking about like Jimmy Buffett and then all the adopted kids are getting to go on a little world tour of the homeland. And it was it was an awesome experience. Like I got to stay with like a family for a little while and like get like home-cooked food by them and we went to like Uh, a market and stuff like that just like the whole marketplace experience was wild if you ever go to korea the first place you need to go is as close to the water as possible and get whatever because the seafood is unbelievable but i think a lot of the parents sign up for that thing as though it's going to be this like big main character growth point for their children (laughs) where it's like ah yes my purpose is to be korean (laughs) And for us, it's just vacation. It's literally just like, oh, look at this cool Korean thing. But I'm still like, I don't lay down in bed at night in Korea and watch Korean TV. Like I'm looking for like, at that time, family guy or something like that. So as much as, again, intentions were great and I had a great time, it was vacation. And I very much felt like a tourist, which isn't a bad thing.
1: Yeah, no, that's not a bad thing. That's a way to enjoy it enjoy a place yeah
2: korea is a great place to be a tourist yeah. i did get a lot of looks though like a lot of like what the tell. hell is he doing like are yeah. like yeah either it's either that or they're like is he being kidnapped <laughs> or like
1: <"Is> he <laughs> with this kidnapped? group of white parents
2: <laughs> and and it's just like all the korean kids like grouped together and the white parents <laughs> forming like a, a, a circle oh around them we're just moseying on
1: <laughs> in the same vein of talking about like the asianness how is it being a fitness trainer as an asian american like i know that maybe there isn't or there hasn't historically been that much like asian representation in the fitness industry maybe specifically in new york city um, but really everywhere so how has that been
2: i think a very Difficult point of contention here, and this could be a hot take. I think representation as a term is super limiting, and it's still very much through the lens of like the the white default, you know, for lack of a better phrase. Um, so when people are like, "Oh, like representation is important," I'm not representing Korea. Please don't ask me to represent Korea. I couldn't point out the flag in <laughs> in a in a lineup of two flags, the other one being the American flag. I I think it's like very much the burden of minorities who look like minorities to be representative of whatever demographic. And so when I'm being like, oh, you know, they're hiring the Asian trainer, all I can really do is smile and be like, yeah, we look the same. But then, you know, if you start probing me about like culture, history, I'm going to disappoint a lot of Korean people which I had like micro experiences with on dating apps, but that's a different story. Yeah,
1: and I totally agree with that. And I think maybe less in terms of like you representing Korea versus like for a kid looking up to you, like seeing themselves in you and being like, oh, like this is something I can do because I have more like examples of like someone who looks like me doing this thing.
2: If adopted kids want to look at me and be like, yeah, I could teach fitness, then like hell yeah, dude. Yes, you can. You know, you're adopted. That's sick. (laughs) Like you can do whatever you want. You can do exactly what everyone else can. That would be dope. That's a cool idea. I mean, you know, and then it's one of those things where it's like visual context, right? You may not look at me and be like, oh, adopted guy. But when I show you a picture from Christmas, it's like, oh, yeah, he's representing the adoptive community. So I don't know. I've never felt comfortable with like the badge of representation, Mm -hmm. but it is nice. It is nice. Like I I felt something in my heart and soul when Shang-Chi came out and he's not even like that's not even based in Korean culture or anything. But I was like Asian superhero, dude. Like that's awesome. Very cool.
1: Unrelated. I watched Turning Red last night and I was like bawling. And I don't even like really identify with like a lot of like the family dynamics that they went through. But like the mother-daughter relationship and it being like kind of difficult, kind of I don't know like not understanding as much. Like I was bawling. It was a great movie. Highly recommend. Yeah.
2: Yeah. There's always going to be like those certain points of deep relatability that are completely detached from physical appearance. And I think bringing it back to representation, if I could represent anything, it would be that sort of like child parent relationship. I'd feel so much more comfortable being like, hey, you can have a family anywhere you go because family isn't blood. It's, it's – Whoever you deem your family. So, yeah, if I was going to represent something, it would be that kind of thing. But if Koreans want to fly me around and give me money to be like the face of Korea, sick, sign the check. But, you know, teach me the language first. Wait, please. so
0: quick to your comment from before about the dating apps and you getting microaggression. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
2: Oh, we are digging. Fantastic. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the most, the three most common ones, the one that we, we were mentioning earlier, it's like, oh, wait, 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 don't tell me. I know this. I know this. Uh, 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 Korean. And then I have to like do my little golf clap. I'm like, yeah, wow. That was so impressive. Crazy. Uh, drinks are on me because you got that right. <laughs> the The other one is people who date for my look, and then also expect what would otherwise come with it. So whenever I would date someone who was like non-Asian or even Asian sometimes, there would be a certain level of expectations where if we weren't very clear with each other that like I offer nothing culturally from like the the way that I look, you could disappoint a lot of people. And a lot of people will lead with Asian-centric things. Be like, who's your favorite member of BTS? I don't know. You first. Or um, anime is always a good one. People always lead with anime. And I feel like it, even in podcast format, do I sound like I watch anime? I don't. I sound like I watch I don't football. I do. No anime anime is like a very
0: big thing now. Yeah, a lot of people like anime. I am a nerd.
2: The, 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 the trick question is, I do watch anime. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the trick question is,
2: yes. That's another thing, too. The stereotypes happening that is so disappointing like i did so well on my math sat do you know how embarrassing that is
0: (laughs) to live up to a good or like a more positive expectation
2: any stereotype like i'm a dog shit driver (laughs) i'll be the first one to tell you but that's because i have no sense of space i hope i don't know maybe my peripherals are off
0: maybe because you're a man that's probably why that's it (laughs)
2: that's it you know what I'm going to even go one step further. This is because of capitalism.
0: It always comes back to capitalism.
2: Yeah. Driving skill is actually part of trickle down economics.
0: Wait, so are you single?
2: I am. Yeah. Okay. I am, unfortunately.
0: And you're just using dating apps for now?
2: I am fresh out of a relationship, um, the longest one that I'd been in uh, in my life. Now, granted, I've spent like – I'm 25, so I've spent like four years being an adult and like two of them being like emotionally articulate, <laughs> um, if that. So I'm just sort of discovering self right now, but I actually use dating apps more in college. And now as an adult, i found that organically meeting someone feels so much more almost like comfortable, um, a certain level of comfort where I can avoid stereotypes or like... People taking wild guesses as to what I might be interested in because either it's like friend of a friend. Friend of a friend is the future of dating. Let me oh, tell you. for sure. Um, if there's just like dating apps based around having a friend of a friend, like put that down. <laughs> like write that down right now. Because um, I feel, I feel I like- I think
1: that's what Hinge originally was. Like you had to have like a mutual friend on Facebook back when people used Facebook. Maybe they like invite other people. Like invite only.
2: If that's the case, then genius.
1: Relating to your- emotional, like the two years of emotional articulation, how are you gaining that? Because I know it is difficult and I don't want to like genderize it, but like I know particularly for men takes a little bit longer.
2: Yeah, 100%. I will be the first one to tell you that I grew up a mama's boy, very much influenced and raised personality wise, I think by my mother. And obviously growing up in acting and not doing sports or anything like that, except for tennis a little bit, Um, I was just around women more often and going to acting school in New York, like it's it's a very predominantly female demographic. And I'd always felt in touch with my emotions. Like I've never been someone who isn't going to let himself cry because of who is in front of him. But I think particularly in like 2020, like early lockdown era, it just took so much self-reflection every day it was like the only thing that you could really count on other than the sun rising was like i'm gonna do self-reflecting today that i think i learned just how to admit wrong doing constantly i've now maybe to a fault where um i will just immediately take blame for things but i think that's the most important skill particularly with straight cis men they have such we have such a hard time dealing with pride dealing with like admitting wrongdoing or like being wrong or even just incorrect about anything. And I don't know if that's like a macro trend because of social media or like algorithm culture or whatever, but I think the more often that you can admit when you did something wrong, the easier it gets. I'm wrong all the time. I'm probably wrong in the first half of the first sentence that I said today. I've probably been wrong about like six or seven things already, but like that's a part of life. It's like failing is so important. Like you, if you feel shame from doing something wrong and feel like failure is a shameful act, then that means that you know how to do it right. Like you have an understanding that what you did isn't what was supposed to happen. It's an, it's a huge opportunity to respond productively. And obviously you are a hundred percent correct in that very few men will take the proper path, will turn to the proper page in the choose your own adventure book. But, um, I would like to believe the optimist in me would like to believe that we're at least trending upward.
1: I would like to think so. But I think
2: that's something more that anyone else can speak on.
1: Yeah. I mean, my boyfriend in the last couple of years, like the amount that he's been, and I mean, like, obviously, me too. Like, I've grown so much in the last two years specifically, but his like ability to like be vulnerable or like be there like emotionally or like be open to like feeling emotion versus like, oh, like it's so like irresponsible to even like play into your emotion when it's like actually emotion is like a very important like part of life and it like helps us make decisions. It helps us with so many. So having more emotional like literacy is
2: actually super helpful. For sure. That mindset too of just like, not just learning one thing and then being like, cool, I've mastered it, but like no matter how much experience you get with it, there's always the opportunity to grow again or in a different direction. Like even if I feel that I've mastered one particular form of emotional literacy, someone could come along with a different perspective and tell me that there's something else going on. And the mindset of being like, okay, this is something that I need to also take into consideration is like an ongoing like a rolling and an open enrollment kind of thing and I think it's important for people to not directly relate time and effort to progress. One of my mentors, one of my best friends and mentors, uh, describes growth as an upward spiral so that even when you're passing over maybe the same problems or making the same mistakes, uh, you are at a different position. you're in a different position. Um, And therefore, you can see it from a different vantage point. And I think that's like a great way to look at it.
0: What I've been watching on TikTok is like a lot of women like in heterosexual relationship, a lot of women like kind of forcing men to like step up in like their relationship. There was one recently where she's been married. Uh, She has like a toddler with this man and he comes home every day like he doesn't help around with the house. Like she's a stay at home mom. But like when you come like home like you still need to work like I'm not going to be your mother for you. So she's like taking steps forward to do that in the sense of like okay, well, I don't like it when he has like his laundry so I do it for him. So she's just like I'm not going to do it for him anymore. But then he purposely tries to like every step of the way try to get her to do it by like for example, leaving clothes in the washer, like letting it sit for days, like getting her annoyed, but Overall, like not even just like in marriage, but also in dating, they're like, if you're calling me at 1am, if you're not like bringing me to dinner, I think people are like changing that aspect as well. So it kind of forces people to, okay, like if I can't treat someone like this, then I need to kind of treat them better or like find different ways that way.
2: Yeah. Which is like an unfortunate situation that we have to be like, let's see how you deal without it to learn the lesson. But hey, man, like if you get there, if you get to the end point, does the journey matter that much? And that's awesome to hear too. Just like that sort of sense of like universal empowerment that I think is only just growing more and more. So hopefully that's a continuing trend. Hopefully the rest of us will get our shit together. And those of us who think we have our shit together will realize that we could get it even more together or we'll get it <laughs> together differently. Everyone should always be getting their shit together.
1: <laughs> Does anyone think that they have their shit together? Out of curiosity, have you ever done like therapy?
2: Oh, okay. yeah. I was curious. yeah.
1: When we were talking about emotional like maturity and stuff, you didn't bring it up. And I was like, oh, like, Interesting that you could do with so much self-reflection without like another source, which a lot of people do do, but therapy can be like such a great
2: tool. So quick trigger warning for anyone uh, regarding like suicidality and general mental health concepts. Context, I have BPD, which is borderline personality disorder. Um, I got my diagnosis in 2017. I spent a week in the NYU Langone psych ward. It was a voluntary admission and uh, I have three attempts on my own life. Uh, the third one was the one that led me to spending a week there. And basically after I got out, after I got my medication, I was on it. I was living. I felt so validated in my whole previous struggle because it's like, yes, someone told me that there is something and there's also different pathways to get better. Like the only way to get better is to admit you're Diagnose sick. it. Right. And I got off my meds and I was just like, all right, cool. I'm doing great now. So I don't need these anymore. And then it was like a a slow taper for a little while. And I just recently, uh, last fall got back into seeing a psychiatrist, talk therapy and the biggest thing, and I'm sure this is a, a retread, um, concept but the idea that therapy is only for people who need it or have something wrong or are feeling a particular emotion that they need to unpack i think therapy is for healthy people and i think it should be accessible to people who don't consider themselves uh either mentally ill or like unsure about their mentalities or like their emotional balances because it's just such a great resource in not only understanding yourself but also how to communicate the things that you want to talk about. Like you don't want your first time to talk about a deeply compartmentalized disdain to be on the person that is involved because then you end up either projecting or saying something driven by your emotions that doesn't maybe necessarily reflect how you're actually thinking about it. And practice makes perfect. And therapy is just practice for being emotionally articulate. Mm-hmm.
0: And knowing now, like after the diagnosis, like looking back at your life, were there not so much signs, but like what were those?
2: So there was like this universal feeling that I would always describe to people. And it was that I could do everything. Like everything was totally normal. I was capable of completing tasks, but I always carried around a very thin layer of like sludge on me so it just made everything a little bit more draining it's like a like a weighted blanket and then even when i was face to face with someone there was always this little bit of a layer between us that would ever really that would always prevent me from ever really uh making a true genuine connection so it was like being super super close to living life uh but being just about not there um so I, I can't really speak on other mental illnesses, but I've heard people describe peaks and valleys, like long periods or like episodes of particular feelings. For me, my experience was very much an extended streak of just pure mundanity. Mundanity, I don't know how to pronounce that. Um, where I would actually, even, even recently in 2021, the reason I knew that I had to go back to Uh, see a psychiatrist, is that I would lose track of time in huge periods. So I see a friend and he's like, wow, it's so good to see you again. And I'm like, I saw you two weeks ago. No, it was like three months. Um, And I just have lost, I had lost like, yeah, I'd lost like the ability to set um, landmarks and like stay present. So it was almost like a constant out of body experience, but not all the way, just like 10%. I was never fully dissociative, but looking back on growing up and being an adolescent, it always sort of served me to write it off as like, oh, I was in the gifted program or this just doesn't like entertain me. I haven't found my passion yet, but it was genuinely like brushing your teeth isn't just brushing your teeth. When I thought about it, it was pick up the toothbrush, put it under the water, turn the faucet on, uh, put toothpaste on, then put the toothbrush in my mouth. And it was just, it was like a long list. So it looked more daunting, even though it was really just, hey man, brush your teeth before bed. It's like, well, here's a list of all the individualized steps that make it just so, uh, so much of a journey to do something basic. Some people describe it as fatigue. I would describe it more as just a disconnect, like having gloves on all the time. You know, boxing gloves, haha. Um, More more like an oven mitt, but like you can grab everything, but you can't really feel anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Pow, 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 pow. Socrates. (laughs) Now I have to balance it with with (laughs) BS because, you know. Because you had like a little bit of
1: vulnerability. So like you had to brush it off with humor.
2: Still cool. (laughs) <laughs> biceps.
1: So do you think like, I mean, not a do you think, like this is a stupid question, but just to like really hone in on it or drive it home, medication and therapy of health.
2: Yeah, 100%. If nothing else, if you told me tomorrow that it's a placebo, doesn't matter. It was the thing that made concrete to me, not only that I wasn't well, but that that meant that there is a pragmatic, like quantitative way to be on the path to getting better. Not necessarily getting better. I'm not saying like, oh, medication is the cure. Medication is a tool that I've been missing. Medication was the knife in my drawer that I needed when I've been trying to cut with a spoon my whole life. Not necessarily going to make me a better chef, but I could probably chop things up a little faster, a little better which just might make me a better chef.
1: That's a great analogy.
0: Do you have any advice for someone who has like a friend or a family member that's going through an experience like this?
2: Um yeah. I I again like it's it's always tough for me to speak on my own experiences and then ask it to be reflected by other people because I don't want to pass that off as if you don't relate to me, it's not like a grounding problem, but-
0: So maybe how would you prefer people talk to you about what you wish like people would have done?
2: I actually don't wish anyone would have done anything differently. I I think I am where I am because of what I went through. Um, And I think the most important thing that kept me here was people wouldn't like overstep, uh, unfortunately, until I like, there was required overstepping. Um, So I don't want anyone to get there ideally, but the friends that really stuck around for the longest and like understood even now how to navigate that. It's not about guiding me to the finish line. It's more about just making sure like if I get off the road, like if you're on the shoulder, you got to get back into your lane. It's like those little bumps on the highway when like it vibrates because it's like, Hey, you're almost off the road. It's just that because at the end of the day, I'm always going to be the only one in the driver's seat. So if I want to take us there, that's on me, not the road. But, you know, if there are those bumps on the road that are like, hey, you're almost off the road, that just might be enough to keep me going in the right direction. And so, yeah, that's like one thing that I'm like incredibly grateful for is my friends as a support network. I always use them as that way to be like, hey, remind me again of what I love about life by just being themselves, not like me desperately asking them, like, you are the only thing between me and suicide, but just like spending time with them and seeing other people and like feeling other people around kept me going in the particular direction after my diagnosis of just staying healthy, not just getting healthy and being like, I am now healthy, uh, but staying interested in working on my health. So maybe in a roundabout way that led me to boxing, who knows?
1: Damn, look at that full circle. All right, last question before we go. What is your most controversial low stakes idea?
2: Like a hot take?
1: (laughs) Is that the word for it? Yes. You said low stake, like pineapple on pizza. Yeah, low stake. Yeah.
2: Okay, cool, cool, cool. Because you have a lot of opinions. (laughs) You're a guy
1: with a lot of opinions, (laughs) a lot of strong opinions.
2: Uh, Funny you should say that. I had a client this morning tell one of my team who works at another gym they're like yeah i don't like that guy's class he's got too many opinions that's that aren't life. mine <laughs> and i'm like hey man that's that's a fair point i'd rather be somebody's first and last favorite trainer than Ooh, everybody's third favorite yeah,
1: you know yeah
2: <sighs> i hope this doesn't offend anyone beyonce is more important as a public image than a musical artist and she has one great album which album that's it maybe <laughs> lemonade uh, easy easy but even that one I'm like is it really great like if you tell me lemonade or any of Lauren Hill's discography like Erica Badu's discography like I just don't think I'm ever gonna have to choose Beyonce well <sighs> I mean,
0: it just all depends on what you relate to, right? Yeah,
2: yeah, 100%.
0: And if you haven't gone through the experience that she has gone, you wouldn't relate to it. So I relate really closely to that album. And to me, it's like the beauty of it is how she was able to capture the journey of finding out that your significant other is cheating on you and, like, all the emotions leading up to it to, like, afterwards. And, like, especially, like the movie or like the bunch of music videos that she put together, it just all flows so well. And I mean, I understand what you're saying. Cause she's an amazing role model. Like she's done so much like in the industry and has like made it a space for like everyone. So I get that, but I'm just saying that album relates a lot to me and it, I would be able to tell yeah. and I would choose that over any other album, any day, except for this new Bad Bunny, I'm kind of feeling it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the vulnerable narrative of Bad Bunny.
0: No, his latest album is is good. I like what it's doing to society.
2: Yeah, I mean he's the coolest dude on the planet right now, <laughs> Jack Harlow. Who? It's Bad Bunny for me, top to yeah. bottom, like ten times out of ten. That dude just drips cool.
1: Well, thank you so much for your time today, Noah.
2: Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Where
1: can people find you?
2: If there is social media that I have, it would be at Noah Floods. Uh, otherwise, 1495 3rd Avenue, Rumble Upper East Side or uh, the bar around the corner from that. Here in New York, sliding my DMs. I'm not even the most famous Noah at my own company. So we could be friends.
0: And that's a wrap. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Shy and Salty, where you can DM us with questions and stories slash topics that you would like us to cover for future episodes.
1: Thanks again for listening to Shy and Salty. Take care of yourselves and see you next Tuesday.